welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Donald Gray Barnhouse. He pastored the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania from 1927 until his death in 1960. An evangelist of incredible intellect, extraordinary language skills, and a true expositor of the scriptures. Today, Dr. Barnhouse presents a sermon on My Need, My Condition. In the last few months, through our ministry, there has been saved a person who is very, very, very high in a religion that is not Christianity. And within two days after I sat for three and a half to four hours with this person, outlining a series of talks that had to be given, this person stood in front of 2,486 people from as many churches of their denomination and preached Christ to them. Only three or four days after there had been the absolute realization of salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. In the weeks that have followed, this person has read intensely. I know that in the last 60 days, this person has read Every word in my five published volumes on Romans, plus teaching the word of truth, plus Griffith Thomas on Genesis and John and Romans, and that there has been a, uh, a tremendous awakening and opening in the life of this person and the ministry of the gospel. Now, my board of directors and the staff know this person, know who it is, and know the voluminous correspondence that has developed in the long-distance telephone calls. And somebody said, but didn't you tell them to come out and be separate? No, I said, stay in till they put you out. Stay in, stay in, stay in. And as a result, there has been a tremendous possibility of preaching the word. Now, we had a letter from this person that said, I spent many hours, I was up till 2 or 3 a.m. preparing the outline that I had to give when I went before such and such a convention to speak. And the reason I'm telling you this this morning is not for information, but I want you to follow this. Do you know this about your condition? And do you know, because the outline is what I know about my condition, my, my need by believing in him what I have and what is my security. These are the four points in the outline. And the first is, and do we know this? Do I know this for myself? Thank God I do. Do you know this for yourself? What I know about my condition, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. Now, that's a good place to begin. That's a good place to begin if you're a Presbyterian as well as if you were a Jehovah's Witness or a Christian Scientist or a Mormon or a Hindu. And this is a good place to begin. My heart is deceitful above all things and incurably wicked because when we know what we are, then we're aware of our need. Jesus Christ said, they that are whole need not the physician, but they that are sick. In other words, a lot of people will not go to a doctor unless they feel a pain. They won't go to a dentist unless they have a toothache. If you're sensible, of course, we know what preventive medicine is, but uh, there are many, many people, the average run of people do not give attention to things unless they feel a need. All right, let's feel this need and understand the heart is deceitful above all things and incurably wicked. 
Now this problem we should face every day, you and I should face it. We face a problem, and now Lord, I've got this incurable heart. And the second part of what I know about my condition is that my mind is like a troubled sea, no peace. And until we come in to Christ, this is true. And this especially interested me because the man who led me into my awareness of salvation gave me this verse, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. And he said, there can be no peace until there comes the awareness that our sin has been put upon Christ. And the verses that are given to me by this friend are Isaiah 57, 20, the wicked are like the troubled sea. And the third part under that first point is that we are hopeless and helpless in a godless world, Ephesians 2, 12. Hopeless and helpless in a godless world. For Ephesians 2.12 is that at that time you were aliens from the covenant, strangers to the promise, having no hope, hopeless, without God, godless, and without Christ, Christless. And this is the first point that this friend found in preparing the study that was to be given to the groups that I have described. Second place, my need. I am guilty. Jesus came to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And this is where we have to begin. You know, it's interesting to me to note how Paul, when he was first saved, said, I am number 12, the least of the apostles. After a few years, he said, I am less than the least of all the saints, number 500,000. But when he was an old man, in his last letter, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I don't care who you are, but if you have any spiritual life at all, you're not going to think as well of yourself a year from now as you do today. As you grow towards Christ, you will grow to trust yourself less and see that you need to trust in him more. This is the great fact and reality of our need. We're guilty, and Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and we take our place, and the closer we draw to him, the more we see what we are, just as when you approach a very great light. You can see if you have dirt on your clothes, if you've gone along a street and a taxi has splashed you, you're a hundred yards away from the street lamp on the corner, and you say, well, maybe it isn't so bad. You go 50 yards, and you say, it's worse than I thought. And you get under the light, and you say, I'm going back home and change. Now, this is what happens when we come close to Christ. And the nearer we come to Christ, the more we realize what we are in ourselves. The second part of my need is that I am lost. And Luke 19.10 was given, Jesus Christ is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then they have added Romans 8.1, Jesus saves from all condemnation. Now, this person evidently had more time than I have. I think they did have an hour and I'm boiling into 20 minutes what they gave in an hour, but I want you to see the thought of the mind of this person. By believing in him, I have everlasting life, justification, and redemption. And under everlasting life, they've written, he loved and gave, I believe and have. John 3, 16. That's a good outline. He loved and gave, I believe and have. And I would call your attention to the fact that what Christ did is in the past tense and what we do is in the present tense. Did you ever notice that grammar of John 3.16? God's part is all in the past tense and our part is in the present tense. He loved and gave, past tense, I believe and have, present tense. 
justification, all things past, present, and future, and they've put down Acts 13.39 for this. Acts 13.39, by Christ all who believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Oh, how wonderful it is to know what salvation really is. Don't ever think that salvation is that if God meets you when you're 20, he says, now I've saved you up to there, but you jolly well better keep in line because from now on you're on your own. This isn't true. There is nothing like this in the Bible. When God saves you, he takes you in the totality of your experience. When we get married, we may be 20 when we're married, but we not only marry the 20-year-old girl, we marry the 50-year-old woman and the 70-year-old woman and the 90-year-old woman, and we stay that way all the time. You see, marriage is, is something that is for life. Salvation is something that is for life. This is the great fact. We take for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. That's the way the Lord took us. And the sins that I have not yet committed, the manifestations of pride or the little reachings out of defending my ego that's a part of the human race, the almost unconscious things, because just as if you poke your finger towards your eye, you can't keep your eyelid from closing. It's a conditioned reflex. That's, that's a part of it. And in the same way, if somebody says something nasty about you, you say, I want to defend myself. And you have to say, get down there. And you have to understand that always there will be these risings of self. But nevertheless, the things that are going to happen in me when I'm 90, if God spares me that long and doesn't come, they are already forgiven, forgotten and cleansed and gone and atoned for and covered. I have been justified in my entire life's experience, and this isn't going to make it easy. Just the contrary. I have been justified full and free is my redemption, Colossians 1.14, and he is my advocate with the Father. And now comes the most wonderful part of this outline. For the last point that this person had in the study that was given to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of non-Christians is this. My security is that I have life that cannot be forfeited, relationship that cannot be broken, acceptance that cannot be questioned, pardon that cannot be reversed, deliverance that cannot be denied, salvation that cannot be set aside. Isn't that fantastic for someone who's saved about 60 days, less than 60 days? I have life that cannot be forfeited. God didn't give us six months life or 10 year life. He gave us eternal life. It's the only kind of life the Bible knows anything about. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no one shall pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. And there's where we are in the hand of God. Life that cannot be forfeited. Secondly, relationship that cannot be broken. How wonderful, a relationship. Now, fellowship can be broken, but relationship cannot. I can get out of fellowship, but I cannot get out of relationship. When I was a boy, I got out of fellowship with my father and mother sometimes until father went out and cut a little branch off the peach tree and applied it, and then I was brought back to fellowship, but I had never been out of relationship. In fact, the reason why he cut the branch was because I was in relationship. Never once did my father ever lick the boy next door. But you see, 
This is the very fact that when my heavenly father chastises and when your heavenly father chastises you, this is the great proof, you see, that we belong to him. We have a relationship that cannot be broken. I, I once told the story of how crossing the Atlantic, I fell down on the deck while I was in a jumping contest with my boys. I fell down on the deck. It wasn't nearly as serious as if I had fallen off the deck because we were traveling in the Mauritania at 27 knots an hour and I wouldn't be here if I'd fallen off the deck. But I fell on the deck and for weeks and weeks I was pulling at a sprained wrist. But this is what happens in the Christian life. We fall down on the deck but we do not fall out of Christ. We do not fall out of Christ because some sin arises, because you're proud or because you're greedy or covetous, idolatrous, because you're lustful or angry or any of the rest of these things that beset our feet. But oh, how great is the fact that our relationship cannot be broken and that we are in Christ. And the next word we have here is we have an acceptance that cannot be questioned. That is, God has accepted us. He says so. The most important thing that ever could be said about the death of Jesus Christ, now I repeat this, the most important thing that ever could be said about the death of Jesus Christ is that God the Father is satisfied with it. God the Father is satisfied with it. And if God the Father is satisfied with the death of Jesus Christ instead of my death, well then that settles it. Suppose there's a rich man lives here in this estate and next door there's a poor man and the poor man somehow becomes greatly in debt to the rich man. And one day the rich man says to the poor man next door, you owe me $5,000, don't you? Yes, I do. Well, you know, um, uh, I know that you, you've got uh, not as many things as I do, but I, I want to help you out. You've got that dogwood tree there in your front lot, and that little dogwood tree has developed, it's a, a pink double, and it has double blossoms. I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, if you give me that dogwood tree, I'll give you a receipt in full for everything you owe me. People will say, well, the idea, who'd give $5,000 for that thing? Well, not, that doesn't make any difference. If the man who owns the big estate is satisfied with giving a receipt for $5,000 and taking the dogwood in exchange, if the man is satisfied, then nobody else can say a thing about it. Oh, naturally, if he says, I'm not going to be satisfied and I'm going to put this into court, and I have a just lien on your property and I'll take all your property and the dogwood tree also. Well, he would have a legal right to do it. But he says, I can get along. I've got enough land and I'll sign this paper and here's a receipt in full. Well, you, someone would say, well, what a fool. What, what relationship is there between one little dogwood tree and $5,000? Well, we'll say $50,000 to make it nearer the thing. Well, God Almighty says, you're a sinner and you deserve hell. That's what you deserve. That's what you owe. Well, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a receipt in full. And I'll just put everything you owe me on Jesus Christ. And I count that what he did on the cross paid for it. Yes, but what about all my sin? Now, I says, wait a minute, says God. If I'm satisfied with the death of Christ, shouldn't you be? And this is what this person has understood, that we have an acceptance that cannot be questioned. Ephesians 1, 6, we are accepted in the Beloved. Next, we have a pardon that cannot be reversed. We have a pardon that cannot be reversed. God speaks, and that is finality. And when God speaks and says, I have taken all your sin and cast them behind my back, 
I have removed them as far as the east is from the west. I have cast them into the depths of the sea. That's it. God has said it, and I have a pardon that cannot be reversed. I have a deliverance that cannot be denied. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 Who hath delivered us, who doth deliver us, and who will still deliver us. I have a deliverance that cannot be denied. For what the gospel says is that Jesus Christ died that our joy might be full. And it is not as you go around, people will see that you're different, that you've sacrificed everything, that you've given up everything, that you're suffering, that you spend time in the hard things and the hard places. You know, the Bible says that God hath given us richly all things to enjoy. Now, don't misunderstand. When we can be kind and when we can be loving, we must be so. But we must not have the martyr complex or in some way seek to wear publicly a hair shirt that will say, see, see how good I am, see how humble I am, see how suffering I am. We have a deliverance that cannot be denied, and that deliverance delivers us from this present evil world and gives us the joy of the Lord, which becomes our strength. And I want to mark a Christian, not by the fact that he goes around and says, well, I'm suffering, I'm trying to suffer, I hope God will look at me and see all that I'm giving up and perhaps be a little kind to me so that in the hour of my dying I'll say, see, God? Oh, no, 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 no. We have a deliverance that cannot be denied. If I want to know that I am delivered, I say, Lord, look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at me. And this is salvation. This is Christianity. And whenever something comes in your life, whenever there's been something that lets you know that you've been out of the will of God, this must ever be your attitude. Lord God, look at Jesus. Don't look at me. And the Lord says, I love to do this. This is exactly what I do. I look at Jesus Christ and I count everything you have done wrong as being upon him. And I count everything that he did right as being put to your account. Your assets are those that are his. And lastly, a salvation that cannot be set aside. This is an amplification of the same thing with Hebrews 5, 9 uh, as the illustration that we have a position in Christ, a salvation that cannot be set aside. And the conclusion that this person drew in the outline that they gave uh, to this meeting of hundreds of people, my salvation is by grace, not works. I am justified by grace fully, freely, and forever. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Romans 3, 24. Being under grace, I am not under law. My security is not in myself, but in Christ. Now, I'm not merely interested in giving you this as a story of what happened to somebody else. If I do that, it's like putting you up in front of a window, in front of a big restaurant, and let you look through and see the food that's on the table that somebody else is eating. And, and, you know, that has never satisfied anybody's hunger. You can go down the street, in New York especially. I know one place in New York where they have a great deep freeze right out next to the street, and the whole deep freeze has one big plate glass in front of it. And you can look inside and see as many as 200 roasts of beef and a thousand sirloin steaks and hundreds of filet mignons. And there they are in this great restaurant. There they have, they say, the best meat in the world. But you know, a hungry man could stand and look in that and be tremendously hungry still. And what I'm doing is not setting on the other side of a plate glass something that has happened 
to transform the life of somebody who once was standing completely against Christ and who has been transformed as radically as Paul on the Damascus Road. What I'm trying to do is open the door and say, now apply this to yourself. Do you know this about your condition, what you are? Do you know what your need was? And do you know that by believing in him that you have justification and redemption and everlasting life? And can you say, I now have a life that cannot be forfeited, a relationship that cannot be broken, an acceptance that cannot be questioned, a pardon that cannot be reversed, a deliverance that cannot be denied, a salvation that cannot be set aside, and that it's all by grace? And the last lines of all on this outline were this, eternal life, God is the source, Jesus Christ is the channel, and his word is the means. God is the source. Everything comes from him. Everything comes through Jesus Christ, and the means is by this book, by the word. Now, when you understand this, you can lay hold upon this. But then I come back to my closing point, for I'm not willing to make this, as I say, something inside the window that you look at as a meal, but something that you say, well, praise God, I know. This is so clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. He has given me this life that can never be forfeited, this pardon that never can be reversed and all the rest of these things, these are our joys in Christ, and herein we do rejoice. God our Father, bless to thy glory the word that has been spoken. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.